As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, known as the iPhone of toothbrushes. Engineered by industrial designers, Quip is sleek and simple. Time Magazine named Quip one of the best inventions of the year, GQ declared it one of the best grooming products on the market, and Oprah put it on her prestigious O-list. Join millions of brushers who use Quip to make their mouths happy and healthy. Get your first refill free at getquip.com listen. That's getquip.com listen. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, very happy to be joined by a, a good friend of mine, somebody I've known for a long, long time, back when you were doing Ranger games on the fan, right? That was when uh, when I used to come on with you guys, uh, Kenny Albert. Uh, how are you? I'm great. This is a little bit of a roller roaster. I know. I used to interview you between periods down at Florida Panthers games. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, that, that was back when I used to get, like, pens from you and watches. Remember those Croton watches? We used to come with gifts. Yep, yep. Uh, gift certificates and all that stuff. And uh, I'm like, I remember I was, like, a, like 20 years old. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You do interviews with people like Kenny Albert. And you Free get dinners in Manhattan. Yeah, I know. It was just crazy. Um, really happy for you to join. This is, again, straight from the source on the Athletic app or anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, um, ad-free on Apple, uh, on the Athletic app with ads on the Apple, Spotify. Um, but uh, if you are not a subscriber to the Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source will get you in for two ninety nine a month. And, uh, Kenny, you're in town for the Ranger Wild Game tomorrow, uh, one of your 50 jobs. This is kind of your, I would call it your day job, though, right? Wouldn't you call it your, your full-time job? Well, first of all, I am a proud subscriber to The Athletic. <laughs> I actually subscribed 
at dinner with you, I think two years ago. Yes, right we, here in St. Paul. Right. Was it during? Was it during a, a wild year? Or was it? It was the playoffs, or was it just a regular regular season? It might have been during the playoffs. Okay. Yeah, because you. I mean, that's the thing. You do so much stuff. Uh, Fox, NBC Sports Network. Last summer, you were in town and you were doing boxing. Which was really cool. We went out to uh, lunch at Manny's, and then we went back to your hotel and tell everybody who I got to meet on the street corner. Lennox yeah. Lewis. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. And I'm just like, holy mackerel! I called my brother like within seconds of leaving you. It was pretty neat um, as well. Uh, last night you had to work the game alone. A little birdie told me. Uh, uh, Dave Maloney came down with a wicked flu in Winnipeg. Uh, how or two nights? It was the last night. Last night. Last night. Um, how, first of all, how's he doing today, and how different is that for you when you have to work? Well, I ran into Dave at lunch today here in the hotel, <laughs> and he's doing a little bit better. He Back did, on solid foods. Did have the flu. He had some soup, and then following lunch, fortunately, there's a Walgreens right across the street. I went and got Dave some Gatorade, so we're a full service wow, broadcast what a partner crew. You are, but no, he's the best and. Working the game last night brought me back to my minor league days with the Baltimore Skipjacks back yeah. in 1990, 91, 92, when I would frequently work games alone. And sometimes we would bring in a former player or coach or a, an injured player who was currently a member of the team. Tim Taylor, who went on to win Stanley Cups. Yep. I remember he was hurt for a couple of games and he joined me as the analyst a few times. So um, it, it was actually fun. I had to put on my analyst hat and actually pay attention a little bit more than I normally would to the replays and try and describe things that had just happened that would normally fall to Dave Maloney or whoever the analyst might be on that given night. Do you want to tell everybody who's your roommate when you call games for the Baltimore Skipjacks? I had a terrific roommate by the name of Barry Trotz. He was 26, 27 years old at the time. I was 22, 23, and he was the assistant coach with the Skipjacks. Rob Laird was our head coach, who's a long time. I see him all the time. coach and yep. scout, played briefly, I think, yep. one game in the NHL with yep. the North Stars, with yep. the Minnesota North Stars. And I was hired in the summer of 1990 by the Baltimore Skipjacks, their owner, the late Tom Ebright, and the front office staff. I interviewed a couple of times, and it was my first job out of college, was uh, broadcasting minor league hockey and doing many other duties as well, working in the office uh, doing some public relations and marketing and sales, which I hated. That wasn't really my forte. <laughs> I made three sales the entire summer, a sports bar, a gym at a hotel, and a driving range, uh, batting range facility north of Baltimore. So three sales. We threw in everything. We gave them season tickets. We gave them ads on the boards, an ad on the program, a, a night with the team, whatever they wanted for 500 bucks. You didn't ever have to put on the mascot uniform, did you? Our owner actually did. Tommy Bright did wear the mascot uniform one night during the game. I never had to do that. Never had to drive the bus. But to save money at that level, they had the radio broadcaster room on the road with the assistant coach. Yeah. And, and Barry Trotz was our guy. And uh, such great memories. He, he's, as you know, one of the best people yes. you'll meet in pro sports. He's a regular down-to-earth guy. If you met him on the street, you would never know that he's a Stanley Cup winning coach. And I really learned so much from Barry during those two years about hockey, about life, um, about uh, wearing contact lenses in the shower. I was a new uh, contact lens user at that time. I had worn glasses prior to that, and I was concerned about the contact lenses coming out while I was washing my hair. And 
Uh, he told me, no, my, uh, I think one of his siblings had contact lenses, so he knew that it was okay to wear contacts in the shower. That is funny. The, uh, it is an amazing minor league sports, all sports. I remember my buddy worked for the Carolina Mudcats. He's now uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, top ticket guys for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He used to have to put on the mascot uniform at times when he was selling tickets in Zebulon, North Carolina, doing Carolina Mudcats. Well, sports. I never had to do that, but I, I did pick up players at the airport. Uh, we had a goaltender named Elaine Harvey who was called up from the East Coast Hockey League, and uh, instead of the team spending the $15, $20 on a cab ride, they would send me or one of the other members of the office staff. We traded for Bobby Reynolds at one point who played in the NHL with Toronto for a while mm-hmm. out of, I think, Michigan State. And uh, same thing. We acquired Bobby in a trade. I went and picked him up at the airport um, waiting with players for – Cable TV, I remember uh, Sergey Gonchar was acquired yeah. by Washington, and uh, he was actually living in a, in a house with a couple of friends of mine who worked for the team, and they were getting their cable installed that day. And I sat in the living room with Sergey Gonchar, who did not speak English at the time, and we waited for the cable guy. <laughs> um, how do you – like? let's give go through all your jobs here, okay? You, you, Rangers, that's your, that, as I always say, is your day job. Uh, you've been there a long time radio play-by-play guy for how many years now? This is the 24th season. Wow. 25 years, but we had the lockout, of course, which erased the 0405 season, so I don't count that as a season. Right. I've been with Fox since 94, hired to do football in the summer of 94, leading up to that 94 season. So just completed 26 seasons with Fox mm-hmm. Sports, uh, 25 years now with, with MSG Network, doing the Rangers radio and – I work about 20 to 25 Knicks TV games every year. That's mm-hmm. been over the last 8 to 10 years or so. Um, added baseball with Fox back in the early 2000s. Have done some boxing on and off for Fox, as you mentioned, and uh, hockey for NBC and NBCSN over the last 8 to 10 years as well. I don't know why this just popped in my head, so apologies right now, but one, every time you mention doing Fox baseball games, the game that still pops in my mind is that St. Louis game that you did that was like, how many innings was that? 20 innings. 20 innings. And the whole time I'm watching you on TV, I'm like, when's he going to the bathroom? When's he going to the bathroom? Never went. Never. I mean, Never that, went. <laughs> just... that was a late afternoon game. I think it was a 3 o'clock start at Bush Stadium in April 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Worked the game with Hall of Famer Tim McCarver, who I had the great pleasure of working about 30 or 40 games with through the years. And it's an early regular season game, and – it was nothing, nothing through 18 innings, believe it or not. Yeah. No score through 18 innings. Cardinals and the Mets. And then in the top of the 19th, the Mets scored a run. And the Cardinals now come to bat in the bottom of the 19th, and they tie the score. And I'll never forget what Tim said after I called the tying run crossing the plate. In the bottom of the 19th, I said, and the Cardinals tie the game at one. And Tim McCarver's follow-up was, of course they do. <laughs> and then the Mets went on to win the game. 2-1 in 20 innings. I never left to go to the men's room. Tim, I think, went once or twice. Right. Now, here's the thing, Mike. You never expect a game to go that long. Right. So while you're working the game, you don't sit down in the first inning and say, this game's going to go 20 yeah. innings. So the extra innings, similar to hockey overtime in the playoffs, seem to go a little quicker because you know it could end at any time. There was a men's room nearby. I could have gone if I needed to. Um, when I broadcast a hockey game, mentally, you know that you can go to the men's right. room between periods. In a football game, you can go to the men's room or the women's room at halftime. 
in a basketball game. You know you can go at halftime. In baseball, it's a little more challenging. Yeah. It's only a minute and a half to two minutes between innings. Now, the color analyst can kind of sneak out and get back a little late. Nobody would know the difference. Right. But for the play-by-play guy, they know if you're not there when the inning starts. <laughs> yeah. I worked pretty a much si- know where 16-inning game a couple of years ago. I'm not sure I went that game either, but 20 definitely is my personal best. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And I've been at I've been at Target Field where you just you know I'll be I'll just kind of roaming in the press box and then all of a sudden see Dick Bramer just sprinting to the bathroom. And the thing is, with with a lot of the new stadiums and arenas now, there is a restroom nearby. I've heard stories yes. about some of the broadcasters back in the 40s and 50s, Jack Buck and Harry Carey and Marty Glickman. Oftentimes at football or baseball games, they were up at a perch well away from any form of civilization, and they would bring a, a, a cup with them, a styrofoam cup, and it's, that's it, how they would do it. Yeah, that, that would not be comfortable or uh, pleasant for the for the partners or the people in the booth. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you just um, This is kind of neat. You just came from the Saints Stadium. They have a new Herb Brooks exhibit there that everybody can go and see. Uh, you got to see it today. Uh, can you tell me a little about it and, and uh, how it all came about? It was a lot of fun. Uh, had never been over to the St. Saint Paul Saints Stadium, and a friend of mine from back east who used to run the Yogi Berra Museum in Montclair, New Jersey, was hired as a consultant for the Saints City of Baseball Museum. So they've D- recently- Dave Kaplan, right? Right, Dave yep, Kaplan. Yep. And they recently added an exhibit honoring the 1980 U.S. Olympic mm-hmm. team. So they have some great photos, and they have jerseys from Ken Morrow and Dave Christian that they actually wore during the Olympics. And then there's another display off to the right. Most of the items were donated by Herb's brother, Dave Brooks. There's actually a seat from Lake Placid autographed by all of the players on the 1980 team. There's also a, a program and a media guide as well as Herb's skates that he used at practices. So it's really neat. Um, I never knew that George Hallis played for the St. Paul Saints. Bill Sharman, the great basketball coach, was a St. Paul Saint. Um, There are exhibits honoring uh, guys like Jack Morris and Daryl Strawberry and Kevin Millar and Isla Borders who all played in St. Paul. So I would uh, highly encourage uh, sports fans who either – do attend St. Paul Saints games on a regular basis or who have never been to the stadium to definitely at some point check out their museum. It is an amazing stadium as well. Uh, it's just incredible that you can have a semi-pro stadium right in downtown uh, St. Paul look like that. Um, it's Dave Kaplan emailed me to go to that. Of course, I didn't see the email for like weeks after, but I didn't realize that he is Emily Kaplan's dad, yes. the ESPN hockey writer. I knew Dave well before I ever met yeah. Emily. Uh, Dave used to be a sports writer and editor at the New York Daily News, and then in recent years was the curator of the Yogi Berra Museum, and that's really where I got to know Dave. Right, and Lindsey Barrow, a longtime hockey writer as well, now a magazine writer, uh, right. still for ESPN, right, as well? Yogi's granddaughter. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, of course. Um, let me ask you, uh, how, how do you do it? I mean, how do you keep, like, I've asked you this a thousand times, like, how do you keep track of your schedule? especially the conflicts where in the middle of Ranger season, all of a sudden we could see on NBC Sports Network doing a game. You know, we, there have been times in the middle of, ho- in the middle of uh, summers we see on the Olympics and things like that, um, you know, during football season, which is also couples with hockey season. How, how do you do it? It can get a little complicated at times, uh, usually when the sports intersect with each other. Mm-hmm. October is probably the most hectic. There have been weeks where I've done four different sports in October. And that's actually a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. For some reason, uh, when I have the variety all within a 
a four or five or ten day stretch. Um, I, I seem to thrive on that as far as the preparation. Uh, somehow it all gets done. And the schedule is really like a jigsaw puzzle. I have tremendous bosses at all three places, Fox, MSG, and NBC. Uh, Fox football, as I said, 26 seasons now. Um, that becomes the priority during the fall. I've never missed a football game in 26 years for any other event. Um, and, and the folks at MSG have been tremendous about allowing uh, not only myself, but uh, Sam Rosen has done Fox football right. for a number of years. Mike Breen, who's the main television voice of the Knicks, as well as the voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC, he also misses a number of Knicks games. He works about 50 or 55 per season. So they're, they're tremendous about that, about working with us. And we all have folks who uh, work the games when we're not there. So, like I said, it all kind of comes together like a jigsaw puzzle. And then with NBC hockey, usually the games I work during the regular season are on Ranger off days. There are the occasional games where I might miss a Ranger game for a special uh, NBC event, such as this weekend. I'm working the outdoor game and uh, Colorado Springs at Air Force Academy between the Kings and the Avalanche. And, uh, again, the MSG folks so gracious about allowing me to miss a Ranger game so I can work that game for NBC in Colorado Springs. It gets uh, real hectic when the Rangers go deep into the playoffs. Right. In 2014 and 2015, I wound up working a, an, an insane number of playoff games. Rangers radio one night and then an NBC game the next night back and forth for about a month. And you and it wasn't just local like it wasn't just close to the east. Right. I see you doing a Ranger game next day you're in California. Well, in 2014, um, ironically, that was the first year that that NBC had asked me to work the Western Conference final. And by coincidence, the Rangers went to the East final that same year. Yeah. And uh, you know, first of all, uh, you don't want to let down your employers. You want to be there for every game and they had been so gracious about allowing me to work uh, for the other MSG for NBC and, and vice versa. Um, you know, again, you want to try and be at as many games as you can for them. And it just happened to work out that year that it was pretty much every other day. Um, they never played on the same day in the conference final. They usually schedule it that mm -hmm. way. The league has the games every other night. And I was going back and forth for 13 days between New York and Montreal in the East and LA and Chicago in the West. And, Somehow it all worked out. There were 13 games played during that conference final round. Uh, the L.A.-Chicago unbelievable series went seven games. The Rangers-Montreal series went six games. So I worked 12 out of those 13. That is and crazy. at that point, a lot of it's adrenaline. Mm -hmm. I was taking red eyes back and forth. Wasn't getting a lot of sleep, but never felt tired. You're so excited to work those games. Uh, knock on wood, voice held up. During the playoffs, in a strange way, there's not as much preparation. You're still going to all the practices and morning skates, and I would work a game in in L.A. and be at the morning skate in New York the next day. But because it's the same teams, you've seen all the games, so a lot of the preparation is sort of, um, uh, you know, via osmosis, right? Just due to the fact that you've worked the previous games in those series. Yeah, of course. You're listening to straight from the source of Michael Russo. My guest is Kenny Albert. Um, uh, and by the way, if you if you are not a subscriber, it's too straight from the source. It's it's just crazy. Our hockey coverage, especially subscriber to the Athletic, I should say, uh, our hockey coverage is just crazy. Just with the Zucker trade the other day, we've had like ten stories here the last uh, two days. We have an army of hockey writers. Um, 
awesome hockey writers throughout and actually podcasts throughout as well. So to pod, to uh, subscribe to the athletic, the athletic.com slash straight from the source. And I'll second that. Yeah. Unbelievable <laughs> hockey coverage. The fact that you guys have 25 to 30 writers at the NHL draft it's crazy. is amazing to me. And we have like I, 600 if, writers. If now. I can give a quick plug to my longtime friend, Rick Carpinello, yep. who covers the Rangers for the Athletic, yep. who does a tremendous job as well. Earlier this season, I, I wanted to do this family story with Ryan Donato in Boston, and I was doing it the day after the game, but that day I was also doing a Matt Zuccarello returns to New York story. And Carpy, during the Boston game, so the day before I was supposed to write this story, and I'm, I am starting to get a little nervous, like, when am I going to have time to do both? And all of a sudden, he's like, hey, do you mind if I write the Zuccarello return story? I'm like, please do, you know? And so he wrote a, he wrote a kick-ass uh, uh, Zuccarello return story. You know, we were talking about preparation for games a little while ago. Matt Zuccarello was, was a big key to my preparation prior to the 2014 Olympics. I've been fortunate to work the last five Winter Olympics, men's and women's ice hockey. He played in 2010 in Vancouver, and I worked most of those games. That was his coming that's out, That's where right? he was discovered by, yeah. by Glenn Sather and the New York Rangers staff. And then in 2014, he was going over to represent Norway and Sochi, and I knew that I would have a number of their games on the schedule, so I went to a Rangers practice a couple of weeks before and asked him if he had a couple of minutes to spare, and I brought the Norway roster with me. And I asked Matt to give me a brief rundown on Everybody. at least the players that he knew. Yeah. And it was amazing. Not only did he know everybody on the roster, but he had played with a number of them. He was related to a couple of them. <laughs> and he was a tremendous help as far as preparing for those games in Sochi. That's awesome. And by the way, one of the podcasts uh, also right now is Two Man Advantage with uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron. Their guest today, if you listen, is uh, Billy Guerin. So uh, while GM Billy Guerin runs down uh, the trade deadline, the the uh, deal that he just made on Jason Zucker and and everything, you, you know, all of us I think as young kids want to be sports sports broadcasters. I, I don't I don't know of any sports fan as a youngster that's like God, how, how cool would that be to be a play by play guy? Your dad obviously Marv Albert, one of the greats. Uh, you still remember the the Jordan call that he made? That's the one that's always kind of uh, you know, it just embeds yourself in your head. Would you say from that you're very moment that you remember kind of being alive that you wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps yes yeah um never really wanted to do anything else in high school and college i did some sports writing as well i was the sports editor of the high school paper on long island i wrote for the town newspaper the port washington news and really enjoyed writing i covered hundreds of games high school basketball football baseball and i think that uh, you know played a large part going into broadcasting, um, taking journalism classes and writing certainly helped me prepare for a lot of what we do now on the broadcast side. But as far as I can remember, I was born in 68, and I remember going to games around 73, 74, when I was five or six years old. And right around that time, my parents gave me a, a tape recorder for my birthday, a toy tape recorder. And I immediately started to call games off the TV and uh, do sports talk shows, and I still have some of these tapes yeah. and pull them out once in a while. It's pretty funny to listen back, but really never wanted to do anything else. Uh, you know, I know there are hundreds and thousands of, of kids who grew up with with a parent who may have been a doctor or a lawyer who have gone to those professions. Uh, when you grow up around it, it, it just gets uh, embedded in you, I guess, and it was also so much fun. Yes. Ta being yeah. able to tag along and go to games and sit in the broadcast booth and uh, watch the preparation. I think the number one thing I learned from him, just from observing, was the preparation, the amount of time that goes into 
preparing for a game. Now, it was a lot different back then. There was no internet. Uh, you couldn't watch any game you wanted to on your phone or on satellite. So a lot of it was subscribing to weekly publications yep. and, and daily newspapers, actual newspapers, which I still read. Yep. And just watching uh, how that side of the business worked, the, the preparation aspect of it. But when I was old enough, I started to bring the tape recorder to real games, Madison Square Garden, Shea Stadium. I would go up and sit in an empty section somewhere or in an upper press box area, and I would bring friends along to do the color commentary. <laughs> and then I was really fortunate, Mike, in 10th grade. I was a sophomore in high school, and because I had been covering the games and I was the backup public address announcer at the basketball games, I knew the athletic director of my high school pretty well. And in January of 84, 10th grade year, the athletic director said to me, this small cable outlet, Cox Cable, is coming to the school to film the girls' basketball game tomorrow. And they were bringing two or three cameras, no announcers. They were just going to videotape the game and replay it back. So I volunteered. I said, if they need an announcer, I'll do it. I know all the players. I know the roster. I'll be there anyway. So Tom Romeo, the athletic director, introduced me to Roy Menton, uh, the producer. And they both passed away in, in recent years, but I still think back to that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, Roy Menton gave me the opportunity to broadcast this high school basketball game. And I asked him for his phone number after the game, called him the next day. And over the next three years during high school, I broadcasted hundreds of games in every sport you can imagine. And these days it's a little different because there are so many broadcasting camps out there. People are starting at a younger age. But I felt like I had a three-year head start on anybody else that wanted to do this in college by working for Cox Cable and broadcasting these games and not getting paid a cent, but I didn't care. Yeah, that I just wanted the experience, and I would bring friends along, and uh, we just had such a great time. And preparing for those games was a lot tougher than it is now because – you didn't have rosters. You didn't have information. You had to go early of and course, talk to yeah. the coaches and ask about pronunciations. But those three years were, were a huge key. Um, if not for the coincidence of Cox Cables coming to my high school, those three years yeah. of, of tremendous experience never would have happened. That's amazing. I remember when I was younger, too, in high school, I wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy. I used to announce all my high school's games. But then Adelphia Cable had a similar experience. They, I did a Spanish River basketball on Adelphia Cable for two years, I think made 25 bucks a game and just sat there and pretended that I was a play-by-play -play guy. And I have the VHS tapes of this. I should, I'd, I'd be afraid to actually watch it. Well, then Roy Menton, who had hired me at Cox Cable, he moved over to Staten Island Cable. So in the late 80s, I worked some Wagner College football broadcasts uh, on Staten Island Cable. And it turns out those were the, that was the last football game I did before my first NFL game was a Division three Wagner College football game. On that Staten is Island. funny. You know, you, you mentioned about no, uh, how it was very hard to prep back then because no internet. I remember when I first started as a sports writer, you would if you if if the Panthers went on a six game road trip, you'd you'd bring a separate bag for all the media guides, the guiding that big fat guiding record book. Uh, and that was some people, you had to have that. They don't print it anymore, yeah. but some people still carry it around from two, two or three years ago. Yeah, it's just you, you know you'd sit there if you needed a height and weight of a player, you had to go look right. through the media guide. We and, used to send letters in college at NYU. We did the basketball games, and before the season, we would take the schedule and actually write letters and send them in the mail to the sports information director at all of the other schools, uh, just to ask for a roster or a media guide, and we. would Wait by the mailbox, and hopefully you get it. And if not, you'd have to 
put all the information together on the day of the game. It's amazing. You know, it's, uh, you're from Port Washington. I'm from Plainview, the Page, right around the corner. Grandparents lived in Roslyn forever, so that's really that right, right around, around the, the corner from you. Um, but I remember the same thing. My next door, actually not even next door, right across the street was a guy named Scott Bowden, whose name is Scotty B on Z100. He's worked for Z100 for 20 years on the Z Morning Zoo. And, um, but he and I, he was my age, and he and I literally, after my paper route, we would go and sit at the bar in the basement of my parents' house, and we would sit there with a tape recorder and just do talk shows or pretend we were a radio station. We, WMBR, Michael Benjamin yep. Russo was our call WKGA, <laughs> which is and, my email address. Yeah. So w- one day I'm driving from New York City to Long Island, and it was after a Ranger game, and it was a back-to-back, so the, the, Pan- the, the Panthers played the Islanders the next day. So I'm, I had a rental car, and I'm driving, and I'm listening at, like, midnight to Scotty B on Z100. And, and then I started flashing back to when this kid and I used to basically play DJ. And I'm like, God, I wonder if this could possibly be wow. Scott Bowden. So I actually called Z100 while I'm driving to New York to Long Island, and it was Scott Bowden. And now, he, I mean, he's still, I mean, this has got to be 10, 15 years ago. It all started still, in your yeah, basement. Isn't that crazy? But I would do the same thing. I would set up my bedroom like a TV studio. I'd have the desk and the bed in the middle and then the TV on the other side. And that's how I would announce the games off the off the television screen. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it, it brings you back. I mean, there's just, there is something about also growing up in New York. Like you just, you know, you're, you have all these sports teams around. You have all this media around, media companies. So you just kind of. You know, you kind of gravitate toward that as a young kid. And we did not have cable TV until I was 18. Mm-hmm. Our area was not wired for cable, yep. so I was a big radio listener. Yep. So I would listen to all sports on the radio. And with hockey specifically, the Devils came in in 82. I was 14. The Islanders were winning cups. So there were there were a lot of games to listen to if you were a, an avid sports fan, in particular hockey. I used to set up a radio in our kitchen for some reason, in that one room, this radio would pick up Hartford Whalers games. And I wow. tell Chuck Caton the story to this day <laughs> that I used to listen to Chuck, the longtime voice of the Hartford Whalers and Carolina Hurricanes, on this one radio in our kitchen. Yeah, that's uh, – God, I was just in Raleigh, and they took his his picture down in the press box, and that kind of bothered me. Um, the uh, – you know, it is, it is funny, too. Like, you think about uh, those newspapers in New York. I mean, they were legendary. You know, the afternoon daily, you come home from school, and you got the – the paper sitting on your driveway, and that's that's how people read the paper. They waited until the afternoon. to. And I was so excited when the West Coast box scores would be in the newspaper two days later. Yes. Because they, the yeah. games ended too late to make the next day's paper. Yep. I remember, by the way, when we got Sports Channel, it was the same thing. It was like so excited. I could actually watch Islander road games and things like that. Jiggs McDonald was the, uh, was the play-by-play Jigs guy. Jiggs and Eddie. Yep, exactly. Um, do you remember the uh, Marv Albert Sound-Alike contest in 1985? I do. Cra- Craig Mitterveen, you were one of the uh, one of the guest judges, if I remember. You were in the crowd, and you were uh, there were eight finalists. One was Craig Mitterveen, the Panthers and Marlins. Announcer. I remember Craig from that week yeah. uh, leading up to the uh, final day, and the gentleman that won was a, a PR director at Roosevelt Raceway, if I'm not mistaken. I think his name was David Lefkowitz, maybe, but he was the winner of that contest. <laughs> Bruce Beck was the MC. He was working at MSG Network at the time, but. Craig was definitely one of the finalists. I could still envision we had boxes and boxes of cassette tapes sent to the house, and we had to listen and, and judge and pick some of the finalists. When I was uh, covering the Panthers back in the day, I used to go on, just like I do with Anthony LaPanta here, I used to go on with Craig Minervini before games. And we're at Madison Square Garden, the Zamboni entrance, doing a hit pregame. And he doesn't tell me he's going to do this. 
but he starts off like he starts. I don't even want to do the impression because it'll be so bad. But he starts off doing the Marv Albert impression to welcome welcome us back. I think at that time it was the Sunshine Sports Network or whatever. What was it called down in Florida before it was Fox Sports uh, Florida? I think, it was Sunshine I think it had a Network. number of different names. Yeah, right? I think it was Sunshine Network. But he welcomes us back. But then he proceeds to do the entire four minute interview as Marv Albert. And I'm just like, this is crazy. You know, it's almost sacrilege, but it was it was absolutely hysterical, and he didn't miss a beat. And you did your part as Michael Russo. <laughs> um, got a ton of questions here for you, Kenny. Uh, both on Twitter, both from uh, some friends of mine that uh, that are huge fans of yours. One you know is uh, Johnny Connor. I also asked a bunch of questions to Pierre McGuire last week, but Johnny uh, is a uh, up and coming play by play guy at the University of Minnesota. Does a bunch of their baseball games and other sports as well. Um, he wants to know loudest game you've ever called, uh, atmosphere wise. Maybe not throughout the course of the entire game, but I'll never forget how loud it got in Toronto when I was working baseball playoff game in 2016, or 15, actually. It was the uh, Jose Bautista game is how most people remember it. It was the American League Division Series between the Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers, and it was game five, the deciding game of the series, and it was just so tense during the seventh inning, which took about 45 minutes to play. There was a near brawl on the field. There were a couple of controversial plays, controversial calls. Bautista hit the home run, the, the famous bat flip. But the noise during that seventh inning, I'll never forget. That's probably the loudest that I've ever heard it. But it was just so tense as well. So right. uh, that, that game definitely stands out. I think that might have been the loudest. It was, it was uh, inside the dome in Toronto and the roof was closed, Rogers Center. So uh, the roof kept some of the noise in there as well. That's awesome. Jose Batista, I remember I was so honored once when I saw that he followed me on Twitter. Then I looked and I saw that he follows like 5 million people. Well, you were one of the 5 million. (laughs) Um, Johnny also asked, best individual performance that you've called? Any sport. Wow, that's a great question. Best individual performance. There there are probably a couple that stand out. I I worked, one of them was actually here when Marion Gabryk scored five goals against the Rangers Mm -hmm. before coming to the Rangers. Uh, I put that one right up there as far as hockey goes. In football, I worked a game four or five years ago, Giants at the Saints. Drew Brees and Eli Manning combined for 13 touchdown passes. I remember that. Final score was 52-49. And uh, you could put both quarterbacks on the list from that game, but in particular Drew Brees. He was uh, nearly perfect in that game. Up and down the field, touchdowns on almost every drive. So I probably have to put that one up there. As far as football goes, hockey, it might be the Marion Gabryk five-goal game because I remember thinking he could, he could have scored seven or eight that he night. He really could have. It was crazy. And both goals, it was – who were the two goals? It was Valakhev. Uh, Steve Valakhev and, yeah, yeah. and Lundqvist, right? And Lundqvist, yeah. So uh, it, he really could have. And I, I do remember uh, – no offense, but I do remember it was a quintessential call from, uh, from um, Sam Rosen because it's the one that's on YouTube where he's like – it, you know, he basically is like, as he's coming in on the breakaway, could be five, and then he scores five. Then who knew a couple of years later he'd be a Ranger. Right. Um, as so well. th- those are the two that stand out. Yep. Um, just uh, it's funny. He asked longest game he, you had to use uh, without a bathroom. I got to tell you, I swear to God, Johnny, I didn't steal that. From actually, you. you know, it's funny. Uh, when I think about long hockey games, Gabrick actually plays into one of the longest hockey games I ever worked too. What was Triple that? Triple overtime. The uh, Rangers Capitals. Right. In the playoffs. 2011 or 2012 uh that was one of two or three or four triple overtime playoff games i've worked in my career um what's your favorite uh stadium or event that you've gotten to call 
Well, that's two different questions, yeah, yeah. right? Stadium yep. or event? So, stadium, you know, I like a lot of the historical stadiums. So, in the NFL, always love going to Lambeau Field. It's tremendous. Just the entire scene in Green Bay throughout the course of a weekend when the Packers play a home game. Um, baseball, love going to Fenway Park and, and Wrigley Field. You know, in hockey, when I started my career, some of the older buildings were, were still in use. Uh, never called a game at Chicago Stadium, but I was there for a few. Did call games at the Montreal Forum, Maple Leaf Gardens, one game at Boston Garden. Um, but as far as the, the newer arenas, uh, right here in St. Paul is one of my favorites. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. I love seeing all the high school jerseys when you, when you first walk in. Um, but to me, it's those old historical arenas. I actually had a chance to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse, Butler University, wow. for the first time last week. It wasn't working. I was working a Knicks game in Indianapolis. And Ed Cohen, who's the radio voice of the Knicks, texted me the day before, and he said, hey, Butler's playing tomorrow. You want to go check out Hinkle Fieldhouse for a half? So we went over there. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, my brother, who is the most obnoxious New York fan I've ever met, uh, big-time uh, Ranger, Met, um, Giants uh, uh, fan, but also a huge fan of yours. He has a couple questions on those. So forgive me if you're listening for hockey and just want to know about this, but uh, he, wants to, he wants to know what do you think of the Met sale falling through? Well, I only know about it from afar, from mm -hmm. reading about it. So I'm, I'm probably not the best person to comment on it. Um, I do baseball for Fox, obviously, but I'm not affiliated with the Mets. You know, it sounds like, the Wilpons were close to a deal with, with Steve Cohen where he would have uh, – he's a minority owner now and would have taken over full control within five years. But uh, some of the things they agreed on, it sounds like, uh, fell through. So now the Mets are, are going up for sale via auction. Uh, we'll see. Um, the Wilpons obviously went through a lot with the Bernie Madoff situation about 10 years ago and uh, bounced back. The team made it to the World Series in 2015. So – uh, along with your brother, I'll sort of be following it from, from the outside and only know what I read about it, but it sounds like they are looking for a, a new prospective buyer at this point. Uh, he wants to know how many games you expect Cespedes, Cespedes to uh, play this year. I think a lot because it's a contract year. Right. And he lost some money uh, in the dispute following uh, the wild boar incident on, mm -hmm. on his ranch. So uh, his, <laughs> his contract actually went down by uh, a significant amount. Uh, for this season and last year, I guess, as well. But it is a contract year, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in 120 or 130 games. He um, you know, he also brought up how the Giants and the Mets both hired a couple of 38-year-old uh, uh, coaches or managers, um, you know, including Luis Rojas, which is uh, Felipe Luz's son. Right. Um, you know, does he, do you think that's going to be a trend in both sports? Uh, because we just, I mean, we see that here with the Twins as well. Right. We've seen teams go younger and – no matter what the sport is, you can you can pull out four or five examples of, of managers and coaches right now who are uh, probably between 35 and 42 years old, mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, look at the Chicago Blackhawks with Jeremy Colleton last year, mm -hmm. bringing him in. And what was he, 32, 33 yep. years yeah. old? Um, Sean McVay in the NFL, 33, 34, brings the Rams to the Super Bowl just over a year ago. Uh, with regard to Rojas, he obviously took over for Carlos Beltran after he was let go following the whole Astros uh, situation. Right. But Rojas is, is highly regarded. You mentioned he's the son of Felipe Alou, the brother of Moises Alou. And um, from what I've read, I, I've never met him and never been around him, but it sounds like he managed a lot of the players who are currently on the Mets at various levels of the minor leagues. They speak very highly of him. 
the Giants shocked a lot of people, shocked most people with the hiring of Joe Judge. There were, uh, you know, many who cover the league, reporters, TV, radio, who never heard of Joe Judge mm-hmm. when he was hired by the Giants. He, now, he's been the special teams coach of the Patriots for the last three or four years, but he was not really a household name. He wasn't one of the names you would hear uh, when when people talk about the up-and-coming coordinators, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. But now when you read about him and hear about his past, work for Nick Saban, work for Bill Belichick, has, uh, I think, three championship rings from both places, Alabama mm-hmm. and the Patriots, and uh, has a very impressive resume. Uh, only 38, like you said, and he's put a good staff around him. He's hired some former head coaches, Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens, among others. And, um, you know, the Giants wanted to stabilize things. It's been a rough four or five years uh, under first Ben McAdoo, and then Pat Shermer didn't win too many games over these last two years. He's landed on his feet in Denver as the offensive coordinator, Sounds like Ben McAdoo just got a job as the quarterback's coach in Jacksonville. But mm-hmm. uh, it'll be fascinating to, to see uh, what develops with the Giants over the next couple of years. They have some terrific young players, obviously, with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, and they're trying to rebuild the defense now. And uh, Joe Judge seems like more of the CEO-type coach right? because he came from special teams. He'll let Jason Garrett run the offense, Patrick Graham run the defense, and um, he's learned from two of the greats in Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. So... Uh, hopefully for Giants fans out there, it turns out to be the right choice. I got to meet Saquon last year at the Super Bowl at a cookie dough shop. Uh, my, you were telling uh, me about yeah, that. Yeah, it was. I mean, one, one of, of the, the nicest, nicest guys uh, you'll ever it meet. It was unbelievable. He bought he bought my nephews uh, who were wearing Giants jerseys and play. But first of all, he played like football with my litless ne- nephew. But then he bought them like cookie dough. It was pretty cool. They were filming a Visa commercial at the time. He, he's so respectful. Yeah, such a nice, just nice, so young nice. Man. Um, let me ask you some hockey stuff, Kenny. Um, first of all, uh, Wild play the Rangers. Uh, what will be tonight when this podcast comes out? Um, you know, right now, uh, eight or nine points out of a playoff spot, roughly. Um, but yet, you look at their prospect pool. It seems like I remember when they were, or it was around the time when they were in Minnesota two or three years ago, is when Glenn Sather and the and Jeff Gordon and the ownership group put out the 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 note to fans, basically saying we're going into a rebuild, and they did. Uh, you know, started trading everybody, and now look at them. They got a lot of young kids. They're goaltending. They, they, I mean, talk about uh, just embarrassment of riches with the amount of goalies they have right now. You have Tony Esposito having a breakout year on the back end. Um, they've got to make a huge decision here with Chris Kreider. Where do you see the organization going right now? Well, first I'll take it back a little bit. So they missed the playoffs seven straight years from 98 through 04. Then this uh, late-round draft pick named Henrik Lundqvist comes in <laughs> in 2005 and drafted in 2000. So he's 23, 24 years old, makes the team. He expected to be looking for apartments in Hartford. He's told that story on numerous occasions, never expected to make the club in 2005. Kevin Weeks was brought in as the starter. Henrik takes over a month later and hasn't looked back. So they make the playoffs 11 out of 12 years with Lundquist, and he was the sole reason by far that they made it to the playoffs 11 of those years. There were a number of seasons where they made it by one or two points. And if he didn't steal six or seven games during the regular season, they're not even close to a playoff spot. So they have this unbelievable run. They get to the final in 14, conference final in 2012, and again in 2015. And then lose to Ottawa in the second round in 17. And now they don't call it a rebuild. They call it a build. So now the build starts. 
Uh, they traded away Derek Stepan, who had been a key member of those teams that went to three conference finals. Trade Stepan to Arizona. Uh, get Tony D'Angelo back in that deal, along with a first-round draft pick. And then it was two years ago this month. It seems like it was so much longer than that. But it was only two years ago, February of 18, uh, during the Olympics in Pyeongchang, when they sent out that letter to their fan base explaining exactly what they were going to do. And they were transparent about it. And the fans, as a fan base, uh, totally understood. They, they've been on board. Uh, the Rangers laid out the plan. They did trade a number of fan favorites, you know, guys like Matt Zuccarello and very popular players and Rick Nash and Ryan McDonough and, and JT Miller and right on down the line. But the number of assets, draft picks, and young players that they've acquired over the last two years has, has been incredible. They, yeah. they stockpiled uh, seven first-round picks over three years, including their own, but they acquired four others. They acquired some young players who are with the team now. Um, Brett Howden from Tampa Bay, along with Libor Hayek, who started the season with the team. He's now in Hartford. Um, some of their young draft picks – a couple of them are on the team now. Philip Heedle's having a real nice year, start of the season in the minor leagues. Uh, some of the others are still in Hartford. Vitaly Kravtsov, who was a first-round pick last year. They traded this past offseason for Adam Fox, who had been a, a draft pick of yeah. Calgary, traded to Carolina uh, from New York, from Jericho, Long Island. This guy's going to be an all-star. there. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> going to be an all-star. Last night, the game he played, you, you wouldn't believe how his game was last night in Winnipeg. Right. He's just a... A tremendous player. He's among the uh, rookie scoring leaders, but he's getting the job done defensively. He's been paired for a good portion of this year with uh, a local kid, Ryan Lindgren, mm-hmm. who was acquired in the Rick Nash deal from Boston. He's had a terrific rookie season as well. So uh, the job that Jeff Gorton and Glenn Sather and now Chris Drury, who's an assistant GM, and John Davidson, who's now the president, the job they've done over these last two years, stockpiling these assets, these draft picks, is just incredible. And yeah. you mentioned the goaltending situation. Igor Shosturkin, who was drafted by the Rangers uh, four or five years ago, who just turned 24 recently, he's made seven starts, including last night. He's now 6-1. and one. He's been terrific. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Georgiev, also 24 years old, who came up two years ago for the first time, was with the team all of last season. Uh, he's been really good as well. Uh, and now he's, pre- he's in Hartford? No, he's no. here. So you're so they're carrying three goalies since right? early January. Okay. They've carried three goalies, and you know, on one hand, it's a good problem to have. Um, Lundqvist does have one year left in his contract. He has a no trade, no movement clause. So it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out over the next couple of months, over the summer, with the three goaltenders, because you would assume they wouldn't go into next season with all yeah. three. But uh, Shosturkin has been uh, the big story ever since he started his first game against Colorado. In early January, he allowed two goals in the first three shots. One was a Nathan McKinnon breakaway, and the other was off a giveaway by one of the defensemen. But he settled down. They won that game 5-3. He's 6-1. and one. He's also going to score a goal pretty soon. Yeah. He tried twice in, I think it was his third or fourth start. Um, he's a great puck handler. You'll see him clear the puck out of the zone by himself if he plays in the game tomorrow night. Um, he will score soon. Yeah. That's my prediction. Well, that'll be fun tomorrow watching him versus Stalock, maybe because uh, because Stalock is like that as well. And Stalock has made it extremely clear to me in a feature that I wrote the other day that his goal was to score a oh, goal yeah. in the Shesterkin NHL. Shesterkin will score. But if you look at Shesterkin's stats, one of the things that really impressed the Rangers and one of the reasons why they called him up, despite having two other goalies, 
his stats in the KHL the last four years and in the American Hockey League this year before the recall. He was an all-star. He's won something like, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think he's won something like 105 out of his last 130 starts. Wow. KHL, AHL, NHL. That's crazy. Um, it'll be interesting because, you know, Rangers have all these goalies. Columbus has all these goalies. At some point, there's only one net. At some point, you got to think that these teams are that teams are going to be pouncing with some big-time trades to try to get these guys. Right, and, and the other thing with the Rangers, of course, uh, their best player has been Artemi Panarin. He right. signed as a free agent during of the offseason. Mika Zibanejad's had a terrific year. Chris Kreider, even though they're eight or nine points out of the playoffs, it's been a fun season watching yep. the, watching all these young players develop and then the addition of Panarin. And uh, David Quinn's done, done an outstanding job as the head coach. He was hired prior to last season from Boston University, and I think he and his staff are perfect for this mix yeah. of young players. That's I, I always have this feeling that Jordan Greenway at one point is going to wind up on the Rangers because David Quinn, it was like his father, right? Um, and absolutely loves him. David, um, I remember flew in, right? Yes, he surprised him for surprised. his first game in Nashville. Uh, Paul Fenton is the one that gave me that scoop. Funny enough, so uh, so uh, thanks, Paul. Um, the uh, but yeah, it was. It, I mean, he just first of all, great guy, and he's a doppelganger for the Wild strength coach, by the way, Sean Scan. David uh, Quinn is. Yeah, yeah. You got to see Sean well, tomorrow and you'll get confused. He's also a doppelganger for his very good friend, Mike Sullivan. Oh, yeah, of course. They yep. both went to yep. BU. They played together. They're very close friends. David Quinn also flew into Nashville to watch Mike Sullivan win the Stanley Cup with the Penguins. That's awesome. Back in 2017. I was, I was there for that as well. Um, let me let me go through some questions here. Um um, who's your fa- here's, a, here's one that'll get you in trouble. Who's your favorite partner to work with in each sport you cover? <laughs> <laughs> that that will get me in trouble if I answer that question. I'll throw out a couple of names in each sport, but I, I've been really lucky. I've worked with over 200 partners. Right. Why the, can't you keep one? In the very yeah, exactly. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, some of them I've only worked for one game or two games. Others I've worked for many years. Um, just real fortunate to work with so many great people. Um, among my current partners, uh, Dave Maloney on Rangers Radio, mm-hmm. Pete Stemkowski's done a lot of games this year, Joe Micheletti, but then on NBC. Uh, getting to work with Eddie Olchek and Pierre Maguire and Brian Boucher and A.J. Malesko and some of the others. Uh, they all bring something different. They're all passionate for the sport mm-hmm. and really, really enjoy working with all of them. Uh, football, I worked with Tony Saragusa and Daryl Johnston for a number of years. You joined was, us for one of those games. That was the coolest thing that, yeah, you really, uh, help, uh, like if, if fans listening to this want to see a really cool story, during the lockout in 2012-13, Kenny arranged – that I got to shadow Tony Saragusa for a story. So I actually, on the field, where no br- print reporters are allowed during the game, I got to sit with Stan with Terry Saragusa uh, in the end zone and uh, and write a big column off it. Uh, and that was during the lockout. It was San Francisco right. 49ers versus the, no, uh, those, those guys versus the Vikings. were a lot of fun. They're great friends. Uh, Rondé Barber, who I've worked with for the last three years, I love, one of my favorite people. Um I've had the opportunity in the past to work games with guys like Troy Aikman and Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw and Anthony Munoz, all Hall of Famers. So uh, that's always a lot of fun uh, working with Tim McCarver in, in baseball. Um, nobody stacks up uh, as far as attire to Walt Clyde Frazier, who right, I work right. 20 to 25 Knicks games. Uh, Knicks games with every year. Right. And he's so much fun to work with. Uh, just the other day in Detroit, we took the team bus from the hotel in Birmingham, Michigan, to the arena in Detroit for a half an hour, and Clyde was sitting right next to me, just telling yeah. stories from the 
the 60s and 70s. Yeah. He's one of the he was named one of the top 50 NBA players of all time. And yeah. if you haven't, uh, if the listeners haven't seen a broadcast with Clyde, uh, check out a Instagram account, Clyde So Fly. There's a gentleman in New York who takes pictures of Clyde's outfits off the TV screen every game, and he grades him on it from A plus all the way down mm-hmm. to a D or an F. He has 125 suits, and he never repeats during the course of a season. That's crazy. So check it out on Instagram, Clyde So Fly. But he's a lot of fun to work with as well. So it's really hard to pick right. one from each sport. That question uh, is from Daniel, by the way. And I, obviously, I love the camaraderie that you and uh, Dave Maloney have. Uh, one of the great captains in 15 years, history. 15 yeah. years together. It's pretty crazy as well. Uh, Yoshida asks, uh, favorite Minnesota sports moment that you called? You are here a lot. Well, Vikings fans might not like the first one I bring up because <laughs> it it was a loss. It was early in Michael Vick's career uh, when he scored an overtime touchdown at the Metrodome, zigzagged his way down the field 40 mm-hmm. or 42, 43 yards, and then uh, ran out the tunnel, and that was it. It was an overtime game. Game was over. So that's one that uh, definitely comes to mind on the football side. Um, working a game with Paul Molitor for Fox. He did one game with us. I would say about 15 years ago, Harmon Killebrew visited the booth that day. We had him on for a half inning, and he was Paul Molitor's idol as a youngster. So I'll never forget, here are two Hall of Famers in the booth, but one of them, Paul, is acting like a little kid when his idol, Harmon Killebrew, came in and joined us. That's amazing. So uh, those two for sure. Um, The Gabryk five-goal game certainly stands out. Although it went against the Rangers, it was a a historic night for, for the Minnesota Wild. I worked so many Vikings games through the years. Um, you know, I remember when Brett Favre came to the Vikings from the Packers. It was it was fun working those games. Uh, worked a game, last game of the season one year, when Jared Allen was approaching the sack record, and we had Michael Strahan on via satellite from the studio to uh, talk about it as Jared Allen was approaching his record. So that's one that uh, that's one that stands out as well. I know what your favorite restaurant is. I think I do. You know. What, what is it? You know. Well, lunch, I mean? Yep, lunch. lunch. Spot? Ike's. Ike's, yep, absolutely. Yep, Love yep. Ike's. I even once, remember I was like flying in from Vancouver and you happened to be leaving after doing a Fox football game and you were at the airport Which, and you texted me and you're like, meet me at Ike's. Ike's at the airport, no longer there. Oh, yeah, it's no longer there. You're right. They put like a caribou it's there gone. or something. Yeah, it's gone. But love the St. Paul Grill here at the hotel. We've uh-huh. eaten there on a number of occasions. Yeah, Pierre McGuire. And, and made many trips to the downtown Ikes with yep. Moose and Goose back yep. in the day. Yeah, that was actually – that before that game, that was one of the most fun nights I've had with you was just hanging out with Saragusa that night and, and your Fox uh, directors. And, and I have to give a shout-out, Jennifer Lertzma, Bob Lertzma's daughter-in-law, the longtime Viking. Right. Uh, she used to be one of the managers at Ike, so she would always oh, I never knew that. welcome us in. Oh, that's cool. We've, I mean, that's the cool part also is, is you know, broadcasters, there is such this camaraderie that even during the playoffs on series I've done with you that weren't involved in the Wild, I remember the Winnipeg series a couple of years ago, uh, you know, going out with you and Brian Boucher to the one, that cool little steak place by uh, the Delta there, or or the, remember the ones that we went to, was it Highs, uh, that we went with like Joe Micheletti and Pierre Maguire and that whole crew. Uh, as well, you know that's the thing during during a hockey playoff series, for example, or or a football season. I'm with my crew 17 straight weeks from Friday morning through Sunday night, so you really do become like yeah, a family. Absolutely. Um, here's a good question, and uh, and we'll wrap up the show here in a little bit. Uh, what preparation differences do you have among the sports you broadcast? That's from Antelope. That's a great question. Um, a lot of it is similar, but there are differences as well. Um, 
no matter what the sport is, I try to read as much as possible, whether actual newspapers, internet, the athletic, uh, various websites. Always try to watch previous games that both teams played, especially in football and, and hockey, for sure. Um, go to practices, talk to coaches, talk to players. Football, though, by far is the heaviest volume of preparation. Mm-hmm. It's one game a week. Every game is a national broadcast. There are no local team broadcasters in the NFL. So if we come in to do a Vikings-Eagles games, for example, like I did this past October uh, in Minneapolis, that might have been my first game this season with those teams. So you really right. have to catch up on their entire season. You know that the fans of those teams have watched every game and know everything about their teams. So during football, uh, it starts Monday morning. I start preparing charts, put the players in their spots by position. You fill in biographical information, statistics. But I'll also watch each team's previous game, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sometimes we'll go back and watch more than one game. Um, it's probably too much. I tend to over-prepare, but you also don't want to miss anything. You never know what player you might have to talk about. So Monday through Thursday during football, you're kind of on your own, preparing these charts and watching games and looking through statistics. And then Friday morning, we usually travel into the city, and the producer, the director, myself, the color analyst, the sideline reporter, we'll all get together and go to the home team practice. And then after practice, we'll sit down and talk to one or two coaches and two or three or four players and we'll do the same thing with the visiting team when they get in on Saturday then we'll have our own production meeting Saturday night and by the time the game starts it's almost like you've studied for an open book test where you know you're only going to use five percent of your information because the game has to dictate what you talk about the other sports the preparation isn't as intense because they play so many games so when I'm with the Rangers it's similar to you with the wild you know pretty much everything there is about the team about every player so I'll still read everything, read all the Ranger newspaper clips. I'll read the last four to seven days of the opponent. Uh, we'll go to the morning skate on the day of the game, go to the coach's press conference, talk to some players. Now on radio, you don't have as much time to get information in, so the preparation might be a little different. You're pretty much calling the game, trying to drop in nuggets of information, leaving room for your color analysts. So uh, they're all a little bit different. A question I often get is, which is the easiest sport to call, which is the hardest to call. Um, to me, personally, and most people think I'm crazy, I think hockey is the easiest. Wow. Because you're just calling the game. Right. Maybe because I've done it for 30 years. Um, basketball is similar but slower and more stoppages. Football is the most rhythmic. It's one play, and then it's 20 or 25 seconds. It's another play, mm-hmm. and then it's 20 or 25 seconds. So I'll set up the play, second and seven on the 35. Call the play recap the play, and then I'll get out of the way so my color analyst can come in. To me, baseball is the most challenging, probably because I haven't done it as often as the other sports. There's also so much downtime. Right. So hopefully you have a great analyst with you to fill in some of those spots. Yeah. And I, I sometimes I, I'm fascinated by it because every baseball announcer seems to have a very different style, and it seems like some try to, some try to really let, you know, they'll be, I'll, I'll watch some games where there'll be like a minute of silence during the game, and then all of a sudden – you right, know, on you TV, listen to some, it's like you feel like there can be no debtor. On television, the phrase is you have to let it breathe. You don't yep. want to talk over everything. Now, at the Olympics, as far as preparation, the first Olympics I worked, Joe Micheletti and I together in Salt Lake in 2002, we did 23 hockey games in 13 days, <laughs> men's and women. So we were doing two games a day. You get back at 10 o'clock at night, you have to prepare for two games the next day. And some of the teams with not 
as many NHL players you weren't as familiar with, mm-hmm. whether it's Belarus or Norway uh, or Switzerland or some of the others. On the women's hockey side, one of the first games I did at the Olympics was the U.S. against China in 2002. And the gap between those teams wasn't close. Mm-hmm. You know, the U.S. was so much more advanced in women's hockey than China. The shots on goal in the first period were something like 30-2. to two. And the good thing from a play-by-play standpoint is uh, Team China never really had the puck, so you didn't have to refer to their players very often. And their goaltender, who was brilliant in that entire game, let alone the first period, her nickname was the Great Wall. <laughs> so we just referred to her as the Great Wall. Yeah, that reminds me, uh, there was several years ago where Jim Gregory, the late Jim Gregory, who just passed away. Uh, Another frequent guest on Rangers Radio, yeah, by the way. Yeah, Jim was with great. back in yeah. the day. But the L.A. Kings once, do you remember he was always the day two draft announcer right. during the game? You know, Gary Bettman gets to do the game day one, but he, Jim Gregory would do day two. And, like, Luke DeCock does the impression incredibly. But there was a Japanese goalie that the LA Kings took in like the sixth or seventh round. And the way it works is that team announces the, the player's name on their microphone at their table. And then Jim Gregory essentially confirms it by say, repeating it at the uh, podium. And he could not, he's like, yuck, yuck, yuck. I mean, he could not pronounce it. And finally, in the most like, like almost like uh, judgmental way, he just goes, good pick, Los Angeles. <laughs> Well, you know, pronunciations for a play-by-play guy, yeah. that's pretty important. Yeah. And I'll go ask players sometimes. The Rangers had a defenseman, Boris Miranoff, at mm-hmm. one point. His brother, Dimitri, pronounced it Miranoff. He pronounced it Miranoff. <laughs> the Giants had an offensive lineman during their Super Bowl yeah. uh, run against New England, Rich, S-E-U-B-E-R-T. And was it Seibert or Soybert? And we had him in a meeting room one day and said, how do you pronounce your name? And he said, doesn't really matter. I, and we said, well, it does to us. How does your mom say it? And yeah. he said, uh, Soybert. Okay, you're Soybert. Uh, same thing happened with uh, Mike Messina, apparently, when he came to the Yankees. Some people said Messina. Some people said Musina. And now he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Bob Shepard, the legendary public address announcer. The Yankees. I was told the story by one of the Yankee broadcasters. Bob Shepard went down to the uh, dugout prior to the game to just double-check the pronunciation and Mike Messina's response was, it doesn't matter to me. And Bob Shepard said, well, it does to me. <laughs> yeah, that, we had it here. We had we had Zidlickies and Zidlitsky, right, then right. Yidlitsky. He, like, changed it every week. Well, Kob- Chuck Kobasu is Kobasu some places, Kobasu. We've had it with the Rangers' new goalie, Shesterkin. Mm-hmm. It's spelled a little differently in Russia with a Y-O instead of an E, the first E, or the second E, I guess. So when he first came up, Uh, One of the Rangers uh, public relations uh, staffers had him say it into a into a recorder. And. With the Russian inflection, he said, Shay (laughs) Stjorkin. And then when Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti, I wasn't at practice on this given day when they went up to him and said, how do you want us to pronounce your name? He said, (laughs) Shesterkin. So I guess in Russia, it's Shay Stjorkin. Yeah, but. In the Americanized version, he's okay with Shesterkin. Yeah, well, it was funny. I mean, that's always been with the Europeans here. They don't. They really don't care. They always try to Americanize it. You know, Kim Janssen is really Junsen, but he always said, say Janssen. Um, well, now on the Buffalo Sabres, you have Marcus Johansson and Jonas Johansson. Right. Two Swedish players, same oh, spelling. Man. 
That would be pronunciation. that would be confusing. Um, two last questions here. One, uh, Zach Brown asks if you had to choose one sport to do full time calls for, which would it be and why? Very fortunate that I don't have to choose. Right. I've been really lucky to be involved in all four, and it's a tough question. Uh, growing up, loved hockey. Hockey was my favorite. All I wanted to do was hockey play by play, and wound up getting the job with the Baltimore Skipjacks, mm-hmm. and that led to the Washington Capitals, to the Rangers. Um, also, actually, my first NHL game was an Islanders game. I filled in on Islanders radio in Winnipeg, December of 89, first NHL game. Wow. But loved hockey growing up. That's what I wanted to do. When the Fox opportunity came about with the NFL, none of us ever expected in a million years. Uh, myself, Joe Buck, and Tom Brenneman were all between 25 and 28 years old, and Fox winds up stealing the NFC package from CBS and they wind up going with three veteran teams of announcers and three really young crews of announcers, and we were very fortunate uh, to be in the right place at the right time. So never expected to uh, be involved in the NFL ever, in particular at that young of an age. You know, back then, NBC and CBS had the Sunday football packages. All of the announcers were probably, you know, 45, 50, 60 years old. So it wasn't even a thought. And now, amazingly, there are websites to keep track of this. I've worked 425 NFL games, which is eighth on the all-time list That's among crazy. play-by-play announcers. Your dad's got to be unbelievably proud of you. I, you know, it's just it's amazing. Well, because it, you have to be, you, know, you like maybe at the beginning you could say oh, I'm Marv Albert's son, and that gets you by. But if, sooner or later, it doesn't. You you got to be good to do this for this long in so many sports and continue to be hired by. I mean, not too many people work for Fox and NBC, two competitors. Right. I read a similar quote from Joe Buck last week when he was asked about his dad and, and getting into the business at a young mm-hmm. age. And, and his quote was similar to what you just said. Um, you, know, you might have some help getting your foot in the door initially, but people aren't going to hire you or keep you on if you can't do the job. Right. So you have to prove yourself. Um, but getting back to the original question about uh, the various sports, um, lo- always loved hockey. Uh, never expected to be doing football, um, but really enjoyed the others as well. Really mm-hmm. enjoyed doing basketball and baseball and uh, really very fortunate to be involved in all four and um, have worked, um, you know, high-level games in really three of the four um, have have done national playoff games in football, baseball, and hockey. Uh, I've done some basketball playoff games too on local television and MSG, mm-hmm. but um, – you know, and the big events are the ones that, whether you're a broadcaster or a writer or a journalist, those are the ones that you'd love to be around. And also been very fortunate uh, to work the world feed, the international feed of Super Bowl 46, mm-hmm. um, seven Stanley Cup finals now on the radio, one game on TV in 2014, um, number of all-star games, Olympics, as you mentioned earlier. So it would really be tough to choose if I had to choose one. Yeah, they're all your babies. It's like choosing your favorite. I always say, well, I always say yeah. it's like asking which kid you like best yeah. if you have four. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is funny, even me, like I, it's so it, what's cool about today's day and age as a sports journalist is you get to do a little bit of everything or you probably won't be employed. You better be versatile and do multimedia. So writing is the what allows me to do KFAN and right. Fox Sports North and three podcasts now. So as well, um, here's a great final question for you um, from Andrew. Does Kenny take any time off from sports? If so, what are your hobbies? Can't imagine you have much of an off season. I, I follow you on Twitter and Instagram. I know how important your family is, your daughters. Um, that, I assume that's your what you spend time doing when you're not behind a mic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do have a lot of time off in the summer. Mm-hmm. It might not seem like that. 
But from mid-June until late August, early September, um, I worked probably six to eight baseball games during that time. Uh, last year I had a couple of boxing events. Sometimes the Summer Olympics obviously pop up every four years. But uh, it's funny, the summer is the total opposite of, of the rest of the year. You know, I'll have stretches where I have 10 days off, seven mm-hmm. days off, work one day and then eight days off. And it, it, it's just uh, the, the opposite of the rest of the year from September through really mid-June. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But, um, yes, I mean, obviously try to spend as much time with the family as possible. Uh, my wife and I snuck away to Italy last year when she turned 50 and we were over there for eight to 10 days and she might be the only person that understands my schedule mm-hmm. uh, aside from myself in the entire world. She's been so great about it for 24 years. Um, I always joke we've been married for almost 24, but I've probably been there for 14 of them, <laughs> but real time, you know, she totally gets it. When we met, I was doing football and hockey and that was it. So I've added a couple of sports since then, but couldn't be more supportive than she is. Uh, similar to my upbringing when my father wasn't home for dinner very often. Um, but I got to travel with him all the time, which was great. I, I love tagging along, you know, going right. to the various cities. I was probably home more during the week, uh, when my kids were young than he was because he was also doing the six and 11 o'clock news at WNBC. Yeah. So if I were home and didn't have a game, I was home and I would be able to pick them up at school, drive to school, go to some of their activities. But but weekends, I'm hardly ever home on a weekend. But you learn to balance it, and, and you do stuff when you can. And um, I felt like I was home a lot during the week when a lot of my friends might have been in an office from 9 in the morning until 7 at night, and I was home. So th- there's definitely a balance to it. But um, definitely spend a lot of family time when I'm not working. Um, used to play pickup hockey until about 10 years ago. <laughs> Wish I still played. It was so yeah. much fun, but the schedule kind of got in the way. Yeah. Plus, you don't want to get hurt. You remember when Joe Micheletti, you guys were in Raleigh, and he tore his Achilles, and all of a sudden he was out. Yeah, he was done. That yeah. was in a pickup basketball game. Yeah. I wasn't. I was in the hotel. I wasn't there when the actual injury happened, but uh, that was a that was a rough one for yeah, Joe. Yeah, I remember you were. I think you were coming here soon after, and uh, we were all going to have dinner, and you're like, "Well, there was an injury in Raleigh, so one of us will not be making it." So. Uh, yeah, that was tough. That was. And the only reason he was even in that gym and wound up playing basketball, we were staying at a different hotel only on that trip. We didn't usually <laughs> stay there, so it was a tough set of circumstances yeah, for Joe. Yeah. Well, hey, Kenny, I really do appreciate you coming on. As usual, I tell my guests, oh, you know, 40 minutes, and here we are at 67. So. I think we could have gone on for hours. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, really, it's just kind of like when we're at Tom Reed's, just listening exactly. to stories. So I uh, really do appreciate you coming on, Kenny. And don't forget, if you're listening there, to please rate and subscribe straight from the source on Apple. If you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com slash straight from the source, you'll go right to theathletic.com and you'll be able to subscribe at a discount. I hope you do. Kenny, thanks for coming on here. Thanks, Mike. Anytime. Awesome. Talk to you next week.